0: Turn with me again to Genesis, chapter 35, Genesis 35, and we'll look at the first 15 verses uh, this morning, 35, 1 to 15. (coughs) Our plan is to finish this section of Genesis, that is through chapter 36, before Thanksgiving, and then take a break through Advent and uh, pick up the Joseph story which begins with chapter 37 and goes to the end of the book, Uh, pick that up the first of the year. So that's kind of where I hope uh, to be going. And we'll see if this takes us two weeks or uh, three to get through these uh, chapters. (coughs) In each of our lives, there are uh, defining moments. There are events, um, turning points, decisions, which uh, change everything. Sometimes we re- recognize that's what ha- that's what's happening. Sometimes we don't really know it at the time. But later on, uh, we look back and we see that at that point in our life, uh, everything's different. That defined us. And uh, we return back to that to make sense of things. In Genesis, um, uh, uh, Jacob's uh, time at Bethel was such a defining moment. Running from his brother Esau chapters ago, we looked at this back in chapter 28, running from his brother Esau, who was trying to kill him. He spent the night at this place near the town of Lutz and uh, slept there with his head on a stone. But there as he slept, God revealed himself to Jacob in a dream in such a way that Jacob's life was redefined. And everything from then on has reference back to what happened at Bethel. So in a text this morning, we find Jacob returning to Bethel because of his return life begins to make sense again hopefully as we consider this turning point in Jacob's life the Lord will bring us to some equally defining moment in our own lives let me read Genesis 35 the first 15 verses then God said to Jacob go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out. And the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Lutz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. And there he built an altar, and he called the place El-Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel. So it was named Alan bakuth After Jacob returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then the Lord went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had, had talked to him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. There are three truths that I want to uh, us to uh, find in this uh, account. There certainly are lots of things we might talk about, but let me boil it down to three things that I uh, feel confident are valid for us to learn. And the first is this, that God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget. These days no one seems to remember things very long. We say, well, I'll never forget this day, but give us about six weeks, and it won't pass our mind again. But that's not true of God. God does not forget, the fact that God remembers explains what happens in this account. Indeed, God remembering is what makes Bethel such a defining moment in Jacob's life. We see here, first of all, that God didn't forget the promise that he had made to Jacob. Back when Jacob was at Bethel the first time, when he slept with his head on the stone, Back in chapter 28, the Lord said to Jacob these words, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What a promise of God. Well, here in chapter 35, in verse 3, Jacob acknowledges that that was true. God did not forget his promise. In chapter 8, verse 3, he says, Let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress." God promised to bring Jacob back to Bethel, and back to Bethel, Jacob is going. Though it's been 30 years or so, so those Jacob seemingly had forgotten about it, though Jacob had, Jacob had often wandered far, far from the Lord, though Jacob finds himself in a tremendous mess as this chapter opens, Nonetheless, the sovereign Lord does not forget his promise. And neither does God forget Jacob's promise. Back at Bethel, Jacob had promised to do great things for the Lord, if the Lord would indeed take care of him. We read back in chapter 28 that Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taken." And taking and giving me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I may return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up will be a, as a pillar, will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. But then again, that was a long time ago that He made that promise, and things change, and it doesn't always work out the way that you thought it would, and uh. uh After all, at least Jacob had returned to the land of Canaan. He had come pretty close to Bethel. He had just chosen to stay in the fertile, uh, prosperous city of Shechem rather than make that extra journey, another day's uh, walk up into the hills in this stony uh, land around the town of Lutz where Bethel was. Oh, but God doesn't forget. God didn't forget the promise he made, and God didn't forget the promise Jacob made. And so in verse 1, we find God reminding and commanding Jacob to return to Bethel. This is important because here it shows who is taking the initiative in Jacob's life. You see, even the crisis that Jacob faced in Shechem was not enough to return him to Bethel. But God. In his grace won't quit. And God remembered what Jacob seemed to forget. And God said, Jacob, okay, now, after all of this mess in Shechem, now get up and go to Bethel, like you promised. I command you. Folks, this is always the way it is. The first step in our spiritual renewal always is taken at God's initiative. For without his initiative, our hearts would forever remain as cold as ice. Like Jacob, we would be forever on the run, no matter how good our intentions are. We never quite get there. Though at the time it may irritate us, though it may disrupt our plans where we wanted to do as we pleased, yet the truth is God won't forget. He just won't let it be in his grace he persists in 1893 Francis Thompson wrote about it in his classic poem which refers to God as the hound of heaven that's the title of the poem the hound of heaven it's quite a lengthy poem but let me read you the first little part he says I fled him down the nights and down the days I fled him down the arches of the years, I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him, and under running laughter, upvisted hopes I, sp- I sped, and shot precipitated down tight, glooms of ch- chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after But with unhurrying chase, an unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat, more instant than the feet. All things betray thee, who betrayest me? See what Thompson's saying? God was like a bloodhound. He wouldn't quit. And I could hear his feet pounding behind me all the time, warning, everything will betray you as long as you betray me. God never forgets. And therein is his grace revealed. Now folks, God hasn't forgotten you. And he hasn't forgotten your promises. And the vows you've made either. Which brings us to the second thing we need to learn from this passage, which is this. So return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. We modern people are so inclined to think in terms of progress. We want to move forward, never look back, forget what's behind us, dream of what's ahead, picture yourself, envision yourself in the future. Sometimes we can't go forward until we go back first. That was the case with the prodigal son in the parable that Jesus told. After leaving his father's home to squander his inheritance, life only went downhill. The further forward he traveled, the lower he sank. Until having hit rock bottom, he finally said, I will return to my father. For only in returning was there any hope of a future. That's where we find Jacob, as chapter 35 opens. He's living in Shechem. Prosperous and successful in many ways. But in other ways, his life is a mess. His daughter has been raped. Two of his sons have slaughtered and then plundered the whole city of Shechem in revenge. And this one man with his family now has become a stench to the surrounding nations. Things are not looking so good for Jacob. So what should he do? What should he do? I was reading this week in preparation, I found a sermon that was preached by Charles Haddon Spurgeon a 100 years ago or so on this text. In fact, in my frustration in preparing, I consider just reading you his sermon this week, instead of uh, trying to do it myself. But I want to give you a little taste of what Spurgeon, how Spurgeon applies this to Jacob and to us, as he asked that very question, what was to be done? And here's what he has to say. It's fairly lengthy, but just bear with me. What was to be done? The first thing to do was to make a decided move. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. You must hasten away from Shechem with its fertile plains and make a mountain journey up to Bethel. You have been long enough near these Shechemites. Mischief has come from your being so intimate with the world. You must cut a trench between yourselves and the associations you have formed. And you must go up to Bethel and remain there a while. Every now and then, dear brothers and sisters, we shall find it necessary to say to ourselves and to our family, we must come out from among the world. We must be separate. We are forming connections which are injurious to us. And we must snap the deceitful bonds. We are being led into habits and customs in the management of the household which are not such as God would approve. We are doing this to secure the favor of one and doing that to escape frowns from another. And we are not walking straight with the Lord. And therefore, to bring us back to our moorings, we must come right out and go to Bethel, to the place where God met us at the first. We must go to our first trysting place and meet with our Lord again, cost whatever the journey may. May our old Puritanism and precision, back to our old Puritanism and precision, we must go and renew our vows. Let us go right away from worldliness and get to the Bethel of separation and draw near to God again. Have you never found, beloved, when you have been very deep in business and very much in the world, that you begin to feel heart sick and you cry, It won't do. I I must get out of this. I must retreat into a holy solitude and enjoy a little quiet communion with God. Have you not felt concerning your family sometimes? We're not serving the Lord aright or becoming more holy or devoted. Everything appears to be going downhill. We must steer the other way. We must alter our present declining state in the name of God or else we cannot expect to have his blessing. I know that you have come to such a pass and have resolved to take a decided step. May the Lord help us all when we see clearly that something is to done. May we have the grace to end sinful hesitation and set about amendment at all hazards. In other words what Spurgeon is saying is it's time to return to the Lord. Like Jacob go back to Bethel. And that's what Jacob set out to do. First of all, in verse 2, he calls his family together and he says, get rid of these foreign gods that you have and purify yourself. Remember, this uh, had come up a long time ago. Ten years ago or so, when they left Padam Aram, his uncle's house, Laban's house. Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, who he loved so dearly, had stolen the household gods from Laban. Well, Jacob kind of let it go back then. The problem was it only got worse. And now ten years later, after ten years in Shechem, with the paganism all around him, now there seem to be lots of strange gods, lots of household gods among his family. They're apparently wearing earrings which have Something to do with some pagan cultic symbol. Jacob says, get rid of this. Get rid of this. And he gathers up all this pagan paraphernalia and he buries it. Y- you see, returning to the Lord is not primarily geographical. This, we're talking about repentance. It's a change of heart reflected in a change of practice. Psalm 24, Jacob's experience of repentance, his return to the Lord at Bethel, is held before us as an example. Let me read a few verses from Psalm 24. There we read, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Dear friends, this is where our return to the Lord begins. Ridding ourselves of the sin which has kept us away. This morning I call you to confession and repentance. There's no moving forward to the Lord Without turning away from sin. Our lives and our homes cannot be renewed to be what God wants. While they continue to be filled with the sin that God hates. A return to the Lord begins with the abandonment of some practice. Then Jacob went to Bethel where he worshipped. We see it in verse 3. Let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar. And again in verse 6 and 7, Jacob came to Lutz, that is Bethel, and there he built an altar. And in verse 14, a third time, Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked to him, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. Jacob purified himself and his family, and then he went to worship. You see the point here, the return to Bethel was not about gaining greater opportunity for his business or better schools for his children. It was not about him getting something from God. It was not about him bringing a grocery list of blessings which he hoped God could give him. No, this was about worship. Jacob went there with his whole family to worship the Lord, to build an altar and pray and make offerings and render to God the honor that he deserved for his faithfulness. And thus keep the promise he made. That's all. Pack up this whole clan. Four wives. Eleven sons and a daughter. All the sheep and the herds. Let's all go. Why? To worship. I make a point of this because we have come to see worship primarily as an experience we seek for our own satisfaction. We come here to get something from the Lord. We come seeking His blessing. But worship is something we give. It's what we offer. It's rendering to God what is His due. It is the opposite of seeking something for myself. It is the getaway of myself, giving my time, giving my mind, giving my heart, giving my praise, giving my precious goods, giving the love of my heart. It's when I call you to return to the Lord, and I mean to the Lord. For most of us, this involves quite a change, for we are so full of ourselves. For all of us, it requires a commitment of time and attention, which we normally have focused somewhere else. But God has made us for himself. And that means worship. We don't just return to a different kind of activity. We're called to return to the Lord. Oh, but there's a third point. And given in light of what we just said, it's not what we might expect. And I don't think it's what Jacob expected. It had packed up and left his gods behind him and went to fulfill his vows and worship. And yet there's this third thing here. God heaps blessing on the faithful. God heaps blessing on the faithful. There's no question that the initiative in Jacob's return to Bethel was from the Lord alone. Jacob didn't do something to earn God's favor here. God himself remembered Jacob and turned his heart back to Bethel. But having made that clear, there's also no question that God blessed Jacob beyond measure when he began to trust God and to obey him. Here we see an example of God keeping the promise that's recorded in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. For God heaps blessing on Jacob as Jacob begins to respond to God's will. First we see that blessing in the protection that God gives him. Remember at the end of the previous chapter, Jacob is is quite uh, frightened. His sons have made him a stench in the nostrils of all of his neighbors. And he's smart enough to count heads and he realizes that me and my little family are absolutely no, uh, nothing before all of these surrounding nations. If they all gather and come against me, we are history. Now God calls him to pack up and head for Bethel, a, an act which could be seen as a as a, a uh, employment of his whole family to head for the next town, which which they're going to slaughter there, like they had slaughtered the people of Shechem. It could have been a move that uh, stirred up an attack against them. But nonetheless, God says, go. And Jacob says, yes, sir. And he packs up to go. And God heaps blessing on the faithful. And We read in verse 5, as they set out, the terror of God fell upon the towns all around so that no one pursued them. Brothers and sisters, how often have we failed to, to obey the Lord because we were afraid of what might happen? Why, Lord, I would go bankrupt if I did that. Why, Lord, if I followed you like you said, what would people think of me? My family would think I'm crazy. Why, Lord, I might lose my job over that. Yes, you might. God's people often suffer. But you see, God also heaps the blessing of his protection on those who will trust and obey. Leave that in God's hands. Return to the Lord. Then we see God gives Jacob an even greater blessing than just protection. For when he arrives at Bethel, God himself appears to him again. We read about that in verse 9 and 10. I don't think that Jacob expected to meet the Lord there. He only expected to go back and fulfill his vow and worship. He didn't expect to have some experience of God. He didn't expect to have some vision, some something like he'd had before there necessarily. But, but he did. God appeared to him there. Specifically, God reaffirmed his name change from Jacob to Israel. And by the way, in doing so, God clearly answers Jacob's question. You remember when Jacob was wrestling with the man who he didn't know who it was, it ended up being the Lord, back at Peniel, he wouldn't let him go, and he says, tell me who you are, who are you? And, and, And the Lord wouldn't tell him. This one that changed Jacob's name wouldn't tell him who he was. Jacob realized who it was eventually. But here, after reiterating the name change, God makes himself known, saying, I, you will be Israel, and I am God Almighty. Else should I. Jacob came here to pay his vows at the place where God had visited him and visited him in a dream. But Jacob never expected to encounter God so personally. Ah, oh, but you see, God heaps his blessing on those who are faithful. Folks, we don't have to wonder about God's presence. God heaps his presence, the blessing of his presence on us too. He promises. How can we stay away from worship when God promises to meet us here? We will not see him, for he's invisible. We will not hear him with our ears, for he speaks only as his word is proclaimed. We will not feel him in unusual sensations, for we don't know God through our senses. But nonetheless, God promises that he will vividly be be present with us so that we vividly see the effects of his presence here. As he enlightens us, and as he convicts us, and as he dissolves the guilt of our heart, and as he fills us with love and joy and peace that come from his Spirit. For you see, God heaps the blessing of his presence... On his faithful ones, just like he did Jacob. So us. Well, finally, we see God's greatest blessing of all on Jacob. He renews the covenant with him. We see that in verse 11 and 12. Let me read it again. And God said to Jacob, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. (laughs) Here God reiterates the um, covenant given to Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, and to Isaac, Jacob's father. And now God passes on those promises to Jacob. The promise of becoming a great nation. To become literally a church of kingdoms, an assembly of kings. The promise of possessing the whole land. The promise that through his seed, the whole world would eventually be blessed. All those promises, all the covenant of God with his people is now heaped upon Jacob and blessing. Now folks, what difference does that make to us? This happened almost 4,000 years ago, halfway around the world. Well, it makes all the difference in the world to us. For this defines to whom all these things apply. Who does God remember? Who may return to the Lord? Who will he bless? Without this promise, in fact, the truth is, None of this that we've said this morning applies to any of us. For you see here, God is calling for himself one family on the face of the earth and tying all of his blessings to this one family, Abraham, his son Isaac, and now his grandson Jacob, and promising that in that one family, God will work and bring blessing. That God's plan for the whole world is tied up in this one family. And outside that, there's no such blessing. There's no knowledge of God. There's no hope for sinners. Only here in this little family. Does that mean that the Jews, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then are the ones that will inherit the whole earth. These are God's chosen people, and so all of his blessings belong to them and no one else? Well, yes. That was generally the, the case throughout the whole Old Testament. God was sovereign over the nations, but his people were his holy nations. That's where the knowledge of God was, and that's where the presence of God was, and that's where the blessing of God was, and that's where the salvation of God was. Oh, but God's plan was bigger than they ever imagined themselves. For had they listened carefully, the apostle Paul reminds us, they would have heard that the promised seed of Abraham, who would bring blessing on the whole world, was not seed plural, that is, all of us Jews. But it was seed singular, one person, who will inherit all the blessing of this covenant. The New Testament makes it crystal clear that that one person is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is indeed the son of Abraham, and the son of Isaac, and the son of Jacob, and the son of King David, who is a physical descendant and an heir to the throne, but who is also the son of man, the son of God, God's anointed one come in human flesh. The Messiah and because he is the the God man he pleased God perfectly unlike Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then he went to the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of his people and he rose from the dead that he might inherit all the blessing promised in the covenant and he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he now gives that blessing of salvation to whomever he pleases. Indeed, the Lord tells us in Galatians 3 that all those covenant promises made to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob were really the gospel of Jesus being proclaimed 2,000 years before he came. The gospel of Jesus in whom all the nations of the world would indeed be blessed. And who are the true heirs of those promises? Not just the physical sons of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. No, those who are in Jesus. The heirs are those who belong to him. Whether Jew or Gentile. So you see, what God promised to Jacob here is what we have in Jesus. That promise is nothing less than the hope of the world. That promise is nothing less than the possession of the whole earth. For Jesus promises his disciples, the meek will inherit the earth. The promise is nothing less than forgiveness of sin eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth as part of the holy race that God redeems for himself. You see, in Christ Jesus the promises made here in seed form to Abraham find their fulfillment. In Christ Jesus, God heaps all of these blessings on us, on everyone who is in Christ. We live in a troubled time these days. And people wonder what will happen. Where will this war on terror take us? What's going to happen in the world? It can be frightening. This is a global problem and there's nowhere to hide and there's no safety or security that we can find anywhere. But you see, God's people have no reason to fear. Those in Christ have nothing to fear. He is the focus of all history. He is the one to whom has been given all kingdoms, the whole earth. He will rule, and we with him are secure. Or our lives may be worth nothing these days or in the days to come. Oh, this nation may fall apart, all the nations of the world may fall into a heap. But the promises made to Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus, are true, and in him we are secure forever. Do you belong to Jesus? Well, I know you know all about Jesus, but do you belong to him? Do you have real hope in him? For those who rest in him in his death and resurrection, God's covenant blessings are guaranteed. As promised to Jacob that day by the God who doesn't forget. Well, Bethel was a defining moment for Jacob. There God brought him back to himself, and there he met the Lord, and there he received the covenant blessings. And through Jesus, those promises have all now come to us. So what should we do? Well, we should do what Jacob did. Rest secure in the fact that God doesn't forget. Our salvation is his doing. He takes the initiative. So we turn to the Lord, for in Jesus there is true forgiveness. He opens the door to sinners like us. And rejoice in Christ, who heaps the blessing of his covenant to those who trust and obey. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your word, which we only begin to comprehend. We thank you that the gospel is not just a little... Commercial that you give us from time to time. But it's this beautiful story, this great tapestry woven together from Genesis to Revelation. As we look at the life of Jacob, we already see the colors appearing which point us to Jesus. We already see the patterns of repentance from sin and from worldliness and returning to you and worshiping you and trusting you and and receiving all of your blessings, we always already see those, those strands of thread in, uh, in Jacob's life. Thank you that you've shown us so much more, that we know the Savior. And pray, Lord, that as we understand it more, that we would live it more, and we would trust you more, and we would be, our commitment would be greater, and our, our, our abhorrence of sin would be greater, and our love of you would be greater. Oh, Lord, work in us that which you promised, that which you were doing way back then. Do it in us even more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.